Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. Hi everyone, this is Dave AC in the chair today for the Cookland Collective Podcast. And no, it wasn't a bad sound clip. You're hearing the accompaniment of fireworks, courtesy of Mr. Tiggs Panther, Andy, uh, who happens to be... Uh, I'm not sure whether they're actually setting fire to him and he's standing in for Guy Fawkes, but there seemed to be a, a major bonfire going on behind him. So thank you for those extra sound effects, uh, there, Tiggs. Um, the yeah, the Cult Collective today, episode 71, we're talking about sci-fi music and fantasy music, of course, in films and TV. Uh, but before that, we're going to introduce everybody in the room and then we'll go on to news and the main topic. Uh, somebody might need to just mute themselves there. I think it's Tim. I think you're lighting up. Hang on a second. Yeah. Uh, sorry about that. I will unmute you in a moment. Um, so let's go around the room. I, I said the fireworks were courtesy of Mr. Tiggs Panther. So, hi Tiggs. Hi Dave, how's it going? Fine, and uh, let me thank you publicly on air for your uh, lovely little uh, Join the Collective from Andy. We will be playing that shortly after the news. So it was thank fun you to Okay, and everybody, you have to listen very carefully. I can't remember whether he says Eastern Daylight Time or Eastern Standard Time. But, of course, we are now, this week, on Eastern Standard Time. So we are now, for the next six months, doing the collective at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, That's in the States. Obviously, work out where you are in the world. Here in the UK, that equates to 7 p.m. GMT. Ooh, nearly said British summertime. GMT. Okay, let's go down the list. Uh, uh, Mr. Benjamin Elliott. Hi, Benjamin. Greetings. Here from This Week in Doctor Who and other stuff. <laughs> Thank you. And we have our third wheel on mic today. It's Mr. Mike Randall Thor. Hello, Dave. And hello, everyone else in the cold thumb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Uh, we also have uh, Mr. Darth Skeptical in the room. Hello, Dave. Pleasure to have you here, as always. Uh, and Mr. Charlie P. 79. <laughs> <laughs> can't roar like a lion, but I've got my popcorn ready. <laughs> and let me unmute Tim to say hello. Hi, Tim. Hello, Hi, Dave. Tim. Hi, I feel all professional. I'm coming over to talk to you live pro for the first time in ages, and my screen's all colourful. Excellent, excellent. Okay, well, there's only one thing next to do, and that is uh, lower the kind of silence. Uh, 
Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? And in the cone today, we have uh, some of our regulars, Cybob. Welcome, Cybob. Uh, Logan, one of the uh, Torchu uh, hosts, as it were, and also has his own um, The Media Outsiders. And if he puts in the show ID, I will read it out uh, in just a moment. We also have a Jedi Justice, uh, a Marv, and Guest 14. All welcome. And Logan's show, The Media Outsiders, is 81865. Okay, so uh, we've introduced everybody in the room. Let's uh, introduce our other little noisy participant. Go, Tuffy Monkey, go. Ah, you're back. <laughs> I knew that salt wouldn't last for long. <laughs> Mind you, it's my mistake. I used the wrong type in monkey music for about two weeks. Okay, let's uh, go to um, Darth for news, and then we'll go on to Tim. Well, in our continuing look at what's happening at MGM, we have uh, MGM publicly stating this week that they are committed to uh, delivering Bond 23 in 2012, and then one Bond every two years thereafter. Of course, what we don't have out of this statement this week is any kind of um, complimentary statement by Eon Productions, that is, the people who actually hold the rights to Bond. Uh, and we also don't have a realistic financial blueprint for any of this. Um, there's no way that MGM actually has the money to commit to anything like this. They would, at the very least, need to get a 50-50 partner in on the deal um, and, you know, uh, who knows if Eon is even going to accept this kind of partnership anymore. Um, very murky dealings. We still don't know where it is, but I guess we could say at least it looks hopeful uh, that there is going to be some kind of bond. Uh, I don't know if I would take this as hopefully as the MGM guys are spinning it, because we just don't really know. I mean, they haven't even emerged out of the bankruptcy that the plan they voted on last week uh, was going to put them into. So we really don't know anything other than them saying, yeah, okay, somehow we're going to cough up the money that we owe the people who are making The Hobbit, and we're going to cough up some money for uh, Bond, but they don't have any money at all. So it's, it's just words at this point. And then we have over at Warner Brothers uh, a big old shakeup that's happened. Uh, this month, and it's resulted in the cancellation outright of a lot of different properties that people in the Colton might be interested in. For instance, um, they've let their rights to Tomb Raider lapse, so there will be no uh, reboot of that. Um, Terminator is also tied up in big old rights problems, and they're basically the new management is basically just walking away from that too. Um, we also have confirmation of some DC superhero movies that we had been sort of expecting, like Flash and uh, Wonder Woman and some other things, but um, a definite cancellation of the Shazam movie, um, which was going to be a little bit further down the road, but apparently they're not going any further there. 
Also, sadly, not going to be getting the Gilligan's Island movie that I know we were all expecting and hoping for, but that's gone, as is any kind of sequel to, uh, or continuation, rather, of the Sex and the City franchise. Um, so, interesting things going on at Warner Brothers, as well as MGM. Cheers. Thanks for that, uh, Darth. Uh, let's go over to Tim. Hi, Tim. Uh, hi, Dave. Just... Just one quick thing from me. Uh, Total SoFi Online is reporting that uh, Ghostbusters 3, which has been a bit of an on-off project for many years, is actually slated to start production in uh, May of next year. And it's another one of these where uh, one minute the script is written by one person, another time it's written by someone else. And apparently the script is now written by Dan Aykroyd, who wrote the original well, at the very least, co-wrote the original Ghostbusters script, so hopefully that's that's good news. And from what I've heard on and off about odds and sods of plot of it, it's some kind of handing the torch show for a sort of plot line where they're the the old geezers training up some new group of Ghostbusters. Uh, okay, and uh, Tim's put in the text. Uh, well, if you're listening to the recording later, we have a text chat going on at the same time as we're doing the live talking, and it's uh, totalsci-fionline.com uh, forward slash news forward slash. Will you find it there? Ghostbusters three filming next spring. Okay, thanks for that, Tim. Um, Benjamin, have you anything for us this week? I don't have any news, which is a darn shame. Though I do find the prospect of Slimer training up a new baby ghost to be utterly neat, if that were to actually happen. But it did occur to me, uh, for a long time we've been discussing the whole BBC HD issue. After all, we in America want BBC America HD. You've talked about the bandwidth on the BBC HD catch-all channel that all the stuff's been mixed up on. The BBC has promised for a long time they're going to create BBC One HD while letting BBC HD continue for their other channels as a catch-all. And BBC One HD launched this past week, and to the best of my knowledge, you're the only person here in the collective today that has the, B- the HD service. So what's up with BBC One HD, which launched on the start of uh, Sarah Jane Adventure, <laughs> or at least the same day? Right. Well, I'll give you the shortened version because I could I could wax lyrical on this for some considerable time. Uh, suffice it to say that um, what has happened is that there are constraints with the HD service in the UK in that um, BBC has this um, uh, resolution to what they call platform neutrality. That means that if they put out something via satellite and via the ordinary TV aerial, that's where you get digital signals through your TV aerial. Uh, they have to have comparative picture quality on each. However, because of the way the gov- government is uh, fighting for every extra bit of money it can, it's uh, pledged to sell off a lot of the spare spectrum now that uh, the analog signals are being slowly switched off uh, around the country and will be fully switched off by 2012. But they haven't ring fenced much of that. Uh, frequency for the BBC instead it's going to go to the highest bidder for G4 networks um, uh, what you would call cell phones in the States what we call um, mobile phones here in the UK 
that has meant that um, they will not put the quality out on satellite unless they can give an equal signal to the um, terrestrial one. And uh, that has meant a little bit of a compromise in terms of uh, where most people would acknowledge that full HD is 1920 by 1080 resolution. Uh, they're using a 1440 by 1080 resolution and you get uh, that equivalent to anamorphically stretched to the 1920. Anyway, the situation has slightly improved. Uh, they've gone now to what's called variable rate. They had it all hammered down to um, 9.4 megapixels a second. Right, people are not interested in the tech, might not want to know that. Two things with it. One, BBC One, BBC Two, do not have a logo, an on-screen digital graphic. Uh, people know where BBC One and Two are, and therefore you get a beautiful, uncluttered screen, except for occasional Graham Nortons. <laughs> they've decided with HD that people have to know that they've found the HD channel. One would assume if the quality was good enough, you would know you were on it because of the sheer quality of the picture. Anyway, they've gone for um, that. We now have BBC One HD, which now mirrors what goes on on BBC One. And where there are programs that are going on BBC One that are in standard definition, they are upscaled to HD. And there's a big kerfuffle going on at the moment because the BBC HD One channel are leaving the, the screen dog on whatever the content that they're displaying. In other words, it's not taken off when SD upscaled is shown. Uh, where some of the other channels like ITV HD, they do that. If it's an HD made program, the logo stays on. If they're upscaling another program, it goes off. However, having said all that, uh, just earlier today before this show, uh, I was watching BBC One HD and it was uh, a run of the Sarah Jane Adventures uh, Death of the Doctor Part 1. And uh, I must admit, the picture quality was pretty good and certainly better than the CBC channel that it scales on. And without that awful moving uh, logo that they, they, uh, they seem to be trying to wean the kids onto uh, on the channel. So if I've got off a tangent, I apologize, but people who know me well will know it. I get a bit hot under the collar with uh, what could be an absolutely fantastic system. You're not going to see Blu-ray quality on BBC HD the way they're doing it now, but I will confess that the um, Sarah Jane Adventures, which admittedly is also one of the few programmes that looks pretty darn good, in standard definition anyway, was looking very well and well worth um, the improvement I saw today. And certainly anybody who... Uh, has a, the ability to get uh, the Sarah Jane Adventures, try and go for the HD version. And one last thing uh, before everybody goes to sleep, uh, just to remind people that if, if you are watching the Sarah Jane Adventures on the BBC iPlayer and you watch the HD version, you are actually watching HD at uh, um, 1280 by 720. Uh, something like three megapixels a second or four megapixels a second. So it's not true HD, but it certainly is uh, pretty fine for the internet. 
That's what they consider, of course, because they've been talking about releasing the international iPlayer, and I imagine that we're not going to get anything on the international iPlayer that looks better than the UK domestic iPlayer. Right. Think think of it as a halfway house. It's um, you know obviously Blu-ray's at the top of the tree. I mean Blu-ray can be screened at something like thirty. I think the maximum that the Blu-ray supports is something like 34 megapixels a second, although in effect most of them are about 17 or 18 megapixels a second. The BBC is on this variable bit rate that goes anywhere as low as 4 megapixels up to 15.5 is I think the new cap, although before BBC One uh, started on the 3rd of November, it actually was topping out at 17 and a half for a short number of weeks. Excuse me. So, um, oh God, I've switched everybody off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I better stop. I better shut up on that. It's worth adding for Benjamin's benefit that the, the, the audience for both BBC HD and BBC One HD will glow, slowly grow over the next few months and years because it's about people having to upgrade their equipment as well. I mean, I don't intend to get either of them until we can get Freeview HD around here, which isn't until spring of next year. Yeah, and, and then that I can is, just course, plug an aerial into a box and plug it straight into my TV. That is the, the sort of point that all these uh, LCD TVs are sold as being, you know, HD ready. But in actual fact, the inbuilt digital tuners are only standard tuners. They don't, they won't work for high definition except for I think Panasonic do a couple. Uh, so as Tim mm. quite rightly says, people have got part of the chain in their household, a screen that will show the pictures, um, but they, they need a separate box. I think currently the viewership of BBR, the potential viewership of BBC HD is 800,000, less than a million. Yeah, and now okay. I've been um, holding off oh. until I... Um until I move, because it's like I've got an HD TV, but um, you know, it's not been worth me looking into any subscription and stuff because um, you know, I'm looking to move house at the moment, and as soon as I figured that, I sort of knew I was moving house before I started to look for HD stuff. At which point, it's like all the subscriptions are 12 months minimum, and I was expecting to have moved by now. So you know, I can't go fully HD until I move house, and you know, a lot of people are in, I guess, that sort of situation. It's not worth upgrading the kit if it ties you into a subscription when you're not likely to be there that long. Right. Well, uh, thank you, Andy. And I'm, because of what you put in the text, I'm just going to mention one more thing. The, one of the complications about standard definition and high definition at the, 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 the moment, and if you go to the BBC Internet blog and look for posts by Andy Quested, who is the technical chap for this, uh, it's even more complicated because uh, when there is a high... Uh, when there is a high definition source, um, now let get, no, let me get this right. When there isn't a high definition source, it's a standard picture. Uh, the picture comes out of the loop, goes into a high definition thing that upscales it. It then goes to the BBC One HD as an upscaled, and then would you believe they downscale that upscale to get the standard definition feed? In other words, the standard definition doesn't show the standard definition feed. A standard definition program that will be upscaled for HD purposes is upscaled, shown to the HD, and is back downscaled for uh, standard. And the reason for that 
is that they need to keep the timing chain, them both coming through the same circuit, so that all things like uh, closed captions and um, other timing cues and other locking procedures are all synchronized. Uh, and um, that's the way they're currently doing, which they admit is a bit of a botch. And the other thing is, a lot of these things are all... Um, because they will not buy new cameras and new equipment at the moment because most of the studios are relocating to another part of the UK. They're moving up to Salford, especially the sports headquarters. We've had some strange things with like the F1 uh, racing, the motorsports, where um, there's been a, a high-definition feed available, but they haven't been taking that. They've been upscaling their standard definition feed. And so it's a bit of a dog's dinner at the moment. But having said that, um, Sarah Jane Adventures is looking good. But I have to say also that when the, when Doctor Who was going, Doctor Who in standard definition was always one of the best standard definition pictures that uh, we ever got. Uh, right, unless anybody else wants to jump in, I feel as though we ought to um, get uh, near to our topic. Anybody else want to make a comment, ask a question on... BBC, it's certainly worth getting, and I'm sure as the codex improve, uh, the picture will get better. I think I was spoiled because I got mine very early on, and they were testing it at 20, 22 megabits, sorry, not megabytes, megabits, tigs, a second, and the pictures were stunning um, with those ones. Okay, right, well, since I mentioned Andy, let's hear a little bit from Andy. If I can find him. There you are. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect him directly via the shoe phone find if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. And uh, I should just ask, by the way, there, uh, uh, Mike and Charlie weren't sure whether the, they would have anything to add, depending on what other people said. Have you got any news to add, Mike? Um, yeah, the, the two items, actually. The, the first is, of course, earlier this week. Book 13 of the Will of Time was released, and somebody who I've seen around a lot of podcast media outsiders, a uh, uh, guy who goes by the name of Neil Al-Hurkran, he was doing some live broadcasts with the Fourth Age Live podcast, Talk Show ID 77988, and he broadcast live from the uh, book, the initial book release party Tuesday, uh, Monday night, early Tuesday morning, at the Brigham Young University Bookstore in Utah, where the guy who's now writing the, the last three books of the series, Brandon Sanderson, appeared, answered questions, signed books, read it, read an excerpt from that. So yeah, that's I've been reading that book this week, and I'm about halfway through. But the other news story that I have is is a rather more interesting story. It's uh, this week we've had the, uh, the the United States Supreme Court hearing the the case the uh, the case of. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger versus the versus the EMA, and the EMA is stands for the Electronic Merchandising Association, and it's basically a, a case that's that's hearing decision on 2000 California's 2005 law to ban the sale of vinyl video games to minors. 
And it's interesting how this case has been going on. I don't know if anybody's been following the specifics of this, but it's it's interesting. It's, it's like, of course, the whole thing is it's debating whether or not it whether or not it's uh, it goes against the First Amendment, the the free speech right to you know ban the sale of, of, of video games to minors, whether or not it's violent. And among all the discussions that went on, there was a rather interesting bit of uh, discourse between uh, Justice Sotomayor and Mr. Morzani, who is re- representing uh, the EMA. And the, the this is this is what was said. Justice just Sotomayor would a, would a viol, would a video game that portrayed a Vulcan as a, as opposed to a human being being uh, being maimed and tortured would that be covered by the act of banning video games? Mr. Morazani, no, it wouldn't, Your Honor, because the the act is only directed towards the range of of options that are able to be inflicted on a human being. Justice Sotomayor. So if the video if the video producer says that this is not a human being, it's an android computer simulated person, then all they have to do is put a little artificial feature on the creature and they can sell the video game. Mr. Morazeni, under the act, yes, because California's concern, I think this is one of one that reason one of the reasons that sex and violence are so similar. These are 12 physical acts we are talking about, Justice Sotomayor. So limiting, narrowing our law here in California, there in California, to violence, violent depictions against human beings. So basically what what's inferred from that is if the video game originally has violence inflicted on a human being, then you can just change that character to a non-humanoid creature uh, and it would be okay. Which is rather interesting. Just one of the interesting tidbits that I've noticed in as this case has been heard. And I don't think a, a final ruling has been passed by the Supreme Court yet, but that's something that I'm following. I wonder what Russell T. Davis would say to that, to Walla Walla Lopola from the Voyage of the Damned. That's discrimination. Manakafamata. Manakafamata, yeah. Discrimination in all its forms. Okay, uh, Charlie has said that um, uh, no, he hasn't got anything to add to the news there. Um, let me just remind people that um, um, the topic we're going to start in the moment is uh, episode seventy-one, sci-fi music, uh, including fantasy. Uh, sorry, in sci-fi, including fantasy, TV, and films. And I want to, before we actually get into that, since we're twenty-six minutes already into the show, I just want to talk about a couple of forthcoming shows that we're going to do, give people fair warning, just in case they don't make it all the way through to whatever length this show is. Just to say that next Sunday, that's the 14th of November, we will be doing Do Sequels Always Come Second? Uh, episode 73 in two weeks' time, uh, that is the uh, 21st of November, we will be talking Sarah Jane Adventures Series 4 Review. And as I think we talked about just before we started the recording, Sarah Jane Adventures end about the 13th or 14th of November. So basically, um, a bit of a tight uh, deadline, um, but hopefully those people who are in Sarah Jane Adventures, uh, who have been able to catch the show, will be uh, chomping at the bit to discuss it. So we decided to give up with the show to the Sarah Jane Adventures Series 4. That's on the 21st of November. And finishing in the same uh, week as Sarah Jane Adventures, I think the 15th of March, is Series 3 of Merlin. Um, And um, that will be our show on the 28th of November. Now, there is a possibility that if... um, 
you know, we don't get a, a good response. Are not many people seen it? Are uh, people um, are reluctant to come in? There is a possibility that we might try and do both on one show. So, uh, but I, I'm, I'm hoping that Sarah Jane Adventures, with Series Four doing what appears to be rather well in the UK, um, enough for that whole show. So uh, that's that. You know how to call in. You've just heard Andy tell us, and um, so let's talk about the subject now. There's two ways we can talk about this, and I'm going to leave it fairly well open. Again, we've got that lovely number of people in the room on audio mic. That means I don't have to queue everybody up. Basically, please jump in as well when you feel like. And to the people who are less um, uh, enamoured of me playing clips, um, let me just say that uh, if you don't talk, I'll play clips. But I don't want this to turn it into a clip show. Um, the subject area is vast, and let me also very quickly um, put in. Um, <laughs> I was actually looking for um, uh, pages to actually give lists of the best sci-fi music, and you could almost put it down to one man half the time, John Williams. But um, th there are lots of, of things on Wiki, and I'll put some links in there. I'm going to start off with one of the first programs that I really enjoyed this is a science fiction uh, this is on television that really made me feel as though uh, the music has an absolutely integral part into your enjoyment of a science fiction and this is from the uh, 1981 version here in the UK of uh, Day of the Triffids and it's absolutely fabulous and atmospheric um, so I'm going to play this and then just get initial thoughts from everybody in the room as to how they feel as though we should go through this topic. And here's the 34-second clip. Okay, uh, let me very quickly uh, find out the people in the room what their their initial thoughts are about the topic and if they want to suggest any ways of dealing with it. Tim, I know you haven't got a great deal of time with us today, so do you want to go first? Uh, <laughs> I don't really know what to say, Dave, at the moment. Well, yeah. Well, first of all, you sent me a couple of uh, clips that I can certainly play. Um, was there any particular reason for choosing the ones that you did? Uh, uh, I mean, the well, ones that are the ones that are three, especially three, three, three out of the four were John Carpenter bits of music, and I think possibly two. Well, it's a bit hard to fact check at the short notice I had, but either two or three of them were actually written, the actual theme tunes and possibly all the music in those movies written by John Carpenter himself. And I, I thought, if nothing else, it demonstrates how talented the guy is writing the movie, directing the movie, casting the movie, and then then, then realising he hasn't got enough money left to hire anyone else, so he writes the music himself. But um, And and always very evocative of the actual scary subject matter of the, the film in question. 
Right, yeah, I should just say to the people, if we do play any of these, that uh, they, they wander into the horror genre, really. Um, let me, let, let's, well, let's pick one of them. Um, what about the, uh, is the fog more of a horror or a science fiction? Which, which of the ones do you like the best? You've got the fog, the thing, Halloween, and, and I'll certainly play the tripods uh, second. Well, the, so the, the one everyone's going to instantly recognise is Halloween, so we might as well play that for now. Okay. <laughs> it's a very long clip that and I was looking for a suitable place I thought it'll build up to a climax and I'll stop it but it's, <laughs> it's just building and building well, most and building most of them I think I tried to cut them down a bit because he, he tends to come across a central melody and then repeat it for about four minutes <laughs> right yeah yeah um, well let's let's play the um, the one that um, and again I'm not going to be playing clips all the while don't worry I'm just trying to get uh, um, Tim's contribution here fairly early on and I mentioned the one before that um, I absolutely love which is the TV theme rather than a film and that's from uh, a UK series um, that uh, Mr Ken Deep's famous for liking as I do the tripods Excellent. Do you want to comment on that? Well, well, well edited, Dave. You'll get that job in the film industry yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that was written by a guy called Ken Freeman, who um, was a bit of a... Th he was not the Radiophonic Workshop. He did not work for them. He was a freelance uh, musician and composer and kind of did the rounds a little bit in British telly around the mid-80s, and he did the tripods not only the beginning and end theme, but all the soundtrack music to both series of the tripods. He famously wrote the theme from Casualty, which has been reworked many times since, but as a purist, I know that his is best. Uh, and he also, when they did the spin-off series for Casualty, Holby City, uh, they, they kind of got on the phone to him and said, Ken, you got any old bits of music lying around? <laughs> and they used the... the, the, the 
the two both of those hospital series have similar sounding bits of music because they got the same guy in but um as far as I know, he doesn't even do music now. The um, the Tripod's music, the the beginning and end theme, uh, did come out as a seven-inch single way back in the 80s, and then the actual soundtrack music sort of sat unreleased for several years, and then sometime in I can't remember exactly when, but around the early 90s, someone managed to um, come to an arrangement with Ken Freeman, and they, they independently released the whole soundtrack which I did manage to buy on CD, but um, I don't know whether it's still out there. You kind of had to go almost direct to this person who put it out on their little record label to get hold of it, but um, the actual music he did in the show itself is is, is similarly good, but um, it, it's great great stuff, and it, as far as I know, he disappeared off into the world of software after that, and he's, he's writing, writing something <laughs> for the computers and we've, we've, we we may even have used his software without knowing it the way the software industry works but um right well let me just add a few things myself uh, and i'll also ask andy in a minute uh, i've put a link up in the page uh, my uh old Tiskly page has reappeared now talk talk have uh, put my website back up so uh, it's a long title there but it's no www it's myweb.tiskly.co.uk forward slash Dave Cooper 2, or one word, forward slash Doctor Who Bits 6. And um, there's there clips from a documentary which was about the cult of the tripods. BBC 4 did a load of the cult of programmes. And there's uh, a number of screen caps there. And there's also an audio link that you can clip on and hear um, some audio that goes with it while they're talking about the making of that programme, which, of course, uh, again, to quote Mr. Ken Deep, they didn't make the third part of the trilogy. Well, he didn't make it in that sort of an accent, but you know the point. I absolutely loved it. And just while, uh, just before you go, to, I don't, well, you'll have to put in text when you need to go, Tim, but Tiggs, you put in text. Quite soon. That, uh, okay. Tiggs, you put that you love that as a, a show. Was music very uh, a part of your enjoyment of it? Um, probably. I mean, it a long time ago, so I can't remember more than the fact I did watch it weekly. But you know, unless I've changed a lot in recent years, um, it was probably a very, very big part because you know, even now I still, you know, the intro music or the background music on the show is a big part of kind of what I overall enjoy about them, and even you know. Other shows I remember from around that time, you know, I would always, you know, always remember like the opening themes and the incidental music of various kids shows I watched. So I can't imagine tripods being any different. The music must have been part of what kept me going. Otherwise, I probably would have wanted to change the channel the moment the intro theme came on. Right, so, yeah. right. And Tim, any 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 more comments? Is there any other section that we, I mean, that you want to, if you're going to leave us soon, that. Uh, you, you're hoping that we will cover? Uh, no, there's not, not much more to add other than the fact that um, cross your fingers, because I did check IMDb today, and the the Tripods movie is still listed as being in some kind of pre-production for 2012. Oh. But, again, whether, they, whether the plan is to do three movies and adapt the three books like the BBC were planning to do, or whether they're going to combine them in some way, I don't know. 
It's, it's always the way, and the Harry Potter fans have had this for years now, if you get a really good book with lots of detail in it, and then someone says, OK, uh, 500 pages, oh, we've only got a two-hour movie, <laughs> and suddenly stuff <laughs> starts flying left, right, and centre, and everyone goes, yes, but my favourite bit wasn't there. Yeah, you, know, you, you almost have to think, don't you, that with, um, with the, like, the... Um the Lord of the the Rings and the Harry Potter big franchises, it's almost um, pushed anything like this out of the way. I mean, uh, we've got the Narnia, Tales from Narnia, now seem to building up more and more success. Um, and of course, we've still got, I should say, the Harry Potter's over. My Sunday paper was full of it uh, today because, of course, um, they they finished... Uh, well, they're, the, they're, they're the, stretching the, it out as far as they can go with a two-part finale movie, aren't they? Yeah, but the actual actors have done their last their last uh, scenes together. No doubt they'll be doing this post-production work, but um, well, this was a really big article in the Sunday Emma Times. Emma Watson floating around the internet about a week or two ago, and I had to look at it twice, and I went, that, that's Emma Watson, is it? Yeah, she's put her hair very <laughs> short. herself as a young woman now, having... Having played a teenager for so long, she she could double for um, Carrie. Um, um, oh, Mulligan? Sally Sparrow! No, Sally Sparrow. Um, uh, Carrie Mulligan. Carrie, she could double for Kerry Mulligan's sister. She's got exactly that look, and they're both very slim and elegant. And of course, she famously got rather taller than uh, uh, other members of the cast, didn't she? But. Uh, yeah, there's a, if you if you have the Sunday Times, you'll have seen that here in the UK. Whether they've got it on their online site or not, I don't know. Okay, Tim. A um, lot, lot of time stuff is hidden behind a paywall now. So if you can uh, get the newspaper, get the newspaper. But they, they're, they're charging people to look at stuff on their website now. Okay. All right. All right well, I'm going to have to say goodbye because I can see the program about to watch is about to start. So I'm um, good luck with the rest of the show, Dave, and. Uh, I'll catch it in the week. That's Good, thank minutes. you. That's pretty bad. <laughs> what was that, Benjamin? Mm-hmm. Well, they were scheduled to start at 8, according to the Radio Times, or at least three minutes after that now. Oh, it's as I always say, they've got to put in their trailers, trailers, and more trailers. It's very <laughs> annoying if you're recording stuff, but uh, I'm watching live, so I'm about to unmute my telly. Uh, okay. So, um, bye, everybody. Cheers. Uh, and that's a sore point, actually, Benjamin, and, and uh, Tiggs will probably agree with this. Uh, ITV, uh, about, oh, and I'm showing my age again now, about 10 years ago, started this trick of starting a program about one minute to the hour uh, to almost stop you catching, you know, to stop you drifting to another channel. They, they used to just start it slightly earlier, and it used to always annoy me. Yeah, and and now it's gone the reverse. There's so many trailers. And uh, the other thing is that they're, they're doing a lot of programs here in the UK, uh, particularly like the the, um, the Life on Earth type series, where it's an hour program. It's made as an hour program. It's to be shown in the UK as an hour program. And it's to be shown on BBC, which is an advert-based channel for one hour. But they don't make a one-hour program. They make a 48-minute program, a 46-minute program, and then they tag on a 10 or 12-minute making-of program. So they kill about three birds with one stone. First of all, they get the one-hour episode for the UK audience. They get the, the show that will fit with adverts in commercial channels without it being butchered. And when it goes to DVD, they've got the extra content in the making-of. So they sort of... Um, 
really a bit crafty with it all. Anyway, we heard Tiggs a minute ago, so let's uh, Tiggs uh, initial thoughts. Well, I'll, I'll go fairly quickly through everybody and let them have an initial talk because we've been going nearly forty minutes and people have barely spoken yet. So, Tiggs, just initial thoughts about the whole idea of. Uh, of theme music and films and so on. You had started a little bit with the tripods. Any other? Um. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a show that basically, you know, you get a tingle when you hear the music or, uh, you know, you came out of the theatre and you just... Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, um, TV-wise, I mean, sometimes you'll find, you know, like in movies, there can be, say, you know, a, you know, a composer who, you know, their work is kind of good and similar, but keeps you going from series to series. Um, one in TV that I um, I followed a couple of different shows that he's, that he's done music for is Bear McCreary. Uh, amongst other shows, he did the music for Battlestar Galactica, the, um, the reimagined series, and also uh, the Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles. And both of those shows are, you know, series where I really enjoyed the music because, you know, he's got this way of, you know, putting music together and you know it's really quite you know quite atmospheric and you know it it fits well with you know with the feel of the show and you know serves as a story and you know in anything if someone can do that well um and you know it can be especially important in you know in stuff like sci-fi and fantasy when you're not just trying to go you know what is good music, but you're trying to invoke a feel of a different time or a different world or a different culture entirely, and to be able to kind of do that with music is kind of, you know, it's if done well, it can be really, really fantastic. And you know, then the same thing goes for, um, you know, for in in the cinema, you know, when you know, especially in the cinema where you are, these days you are going to be going into somewhere with a really, really decent sound system, and as long as the bass isn't broken, I've had that a few times. But you know, you, you're in. Oh, I, I have, and I've heard it. Of other, and that, that the thing is, that can ruin, that can really, really ruin a cinema experience if the bass is broken or if they got the sound levels wrong and it's hurting your ears and it's breaking up. And a really, really good film, you'll just sit there going, I don't like this, and it's simply because. You know, the music's wrong, or, you know, in the case of, I think it was Lost in Space. Yeah, it wasn't a great film, but it was entertaining, apart from the fact that the soundtrack was too high in the mix and you couldn't hear the music. Um, but, you know, if you uh, couldn't hear the dialogue even. But, you know, if the music hits the feel, doesn't drown out the dialogue, doesn't feel forced, it can really, really, you know, make or break a film or a TV series. And one... One recent film um, that I've absolutely loved the music for and have the soundtrack for is Inception. Um, I mean, I've heard some people say that it's very, very similar to some of Hans Zimmer's other work. But, I mean, I've only heard another couple of films that he's done the music for, namely the Batman ones. And, yes, some of the music is similar, but in all of the, in all of the cases, it fits. It's his style, but it fits. And you know, it's like in Inception, it just really kind of, are different things for different settings and you've got some that's thoughtful and some that's action-packed and it's you know it's to be honest it's one of my favorite soundtracks to listen to at the moment and you know that's another good sign if if you want to buy the soundtrack you know whether it's movie or tv if you want to buy the soundtrack afterwards it's done its job so you know if it's taking you out of the movie you're not going to want to buy it 
Right, right, absolutely. Okay, well, uh, we'll certainly come back get through anyone. Uh, and and uh, before I bring Darth in, let me just give him a little theme. stop it there uh, and of course everybody in the room will now know that as the ocean girl theme so darth have i missed some text where he's moved away from the uh, microphone or are you self-muted okay well while he sorts himself out let's go to benjamin and then i'll go to charlie uh benjamin um uh-huh. Same question as to Tiggs, really. Um, uh, it's such a vast topic here, really. We've got to go on ones that, uh, pieces of music that move us, pieces of music that we feel has made a, a, a TV series or a film that's m- much more involving. Any come to mind? Are you asking me or asking Tiggs? Cause well, you you first. Um, we've been okay. with Tiggs, so I'm going to you, and then I'll ask Charlie after yourself. Well, I think in recent days, the um, show, it's interesting because you're right, a good theme can really help and a bad theme can really harm. Fringe has an excellent theme for the type of show it is. And it slightly evokes X-Files, but it's not the same. And it's it's pretty simple, but it just just this piano playing and it just goes right into it. And they can do variations like the 1985 version where it sounded like uh, cheap electronic keyboards. And it's just a really neat theme. And then you have Dollhouse where you have... And they wondered why no one stuck around for when the episodes got good. Because... <laughs> the, the theme tune with Dollhouse almost got me to tune out of the first episode because it was so awful. I stayed with the show to the end. It's like, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes themes do help. Certainly, I think Faith of the Heart helped me tune out of Enterprise for a while. Right. Not that there was anything wrong with the Faith of the Heart song, just that it really didn't put me into a Star Trek frame of mind. <laughs> well, more to the point, it, it did cause a lot of controversy with the fans, I remember it, because it was um, a Rod Stewart uh, song, wasn't it? It was a different a different cover singing it, wasn't it? Uh, Fate in the Heart. And uh, some people loved the fact that, because um, it's very rare that you actually have a song as a title. In fact, one of the, my favourites ones includes a song which I'll go to in a short while, but um, there was a, a, the the very fact that there was such a strong feeling amongst the fans, either for it or against it, just shows how emotive the musical aspect and score of a show uh, can be. Uh, absolutely, yeah. 
What about uh, in the movies? Uh, well, let's see. Obviously, uh, obviously, you have John Williams stuff, which is best known for Star Wars, and Jerry Goldsmith's been all over the place. He's not as well known, but he did the classic Star Trek themes, and it seems like you tune around if you check out a television show or a movie from about the '60s to the '90s. There's a very good chance uh, if if you have a rather interesting theme tune, there's a very good chance you're going to find Jerry Goldsmith's name in there as either the composer or some sort of consultant, because that guy seemed to get everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And not just sci-fi, but they're just names that you look for. Obviously, Doctor Who's had some famous people, like Ron Granger, I suppose would be one of the British equivalents to Jerry Goldsmith, because I will come across 60s films, hear the theme tune and think that's familiar, and then see Ron Granger's name. Assassination Bureau, for instance. <laughs> you know, you're, you're watching the film and the theme tune comes on and it's like, that sounds a bit like old Doctor Who, Ron Granger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm just thinking, I've got, I've got the, uh, the the current Doctor Who, I should really have the, um, the classic um, Doctor Who music keyed up. I'll try and find that later. Okay. Uh, I'm guessing people like Murray Gold and Ben Foster might be future people like that, the ones who are making their names now. And they're like... Oh, you know. absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's I, I have to think Ben Foster's going to be much bigger in years to come than he is today with the stuff he's doing. I mean, in in the past, in the, the proms, they have occasionally done uh, ones where they've uh, had uh, movie music themes. But, I mean, for Doctor Who to fill... Uh, the actual um, have a, a prom night of its own, and more to the point, fill it with uh, such a young audience lapping it up, loving it, just to hear full orchestrations of the music. And that's one of the other things as well is um, th- there must have been a time, um, what in the nineties, whenever when um, the uh, incumbent musicians in these TV channels were getting laid off, and they were basically going to can laughter and can music. So to actually have a program where you get an orchestration to it, it really is um, a, a wonderful thing. Yeah. And, of course, it's sad when you look at shows that don't do something. Like, um, I, I like the alias, and their opening's catchy, but that could have been done by someone in just a couple of seconds in their spare time. You get the feeling there wasn't anything... Like, if you remember that show, it was like... That's just a couple seconds. It's hardly anything at all. Right. And a lot of shows don't do that, don't do much anymore, regardless of genre. Right. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to move on to Charlie, and then we'll see if we've got Darth back on audio in a moment. Um, Charlie, uh, your thoughts on this, and maybe an example from TV and another one from film of m- music that just you know gets you into the whole program well uh, well just thinking about this topic and i was just going through all the uh, i was going through a handful of movies sort of sci-fi movies that had um sort of music that was you know say different or mu- you know music that sort of you know came um came from it you know it could have been out of this world or something like the yeah, you can say and um i have a handful of i thought you know the the uh the electronic score to forbidden planet which is very out there, it probably still is out there. Um, the people, who, you know, 
McCredis or uh, electric totalities. That's what that's what the score was. Um, things like um, uh, the use of uh, the the theremin, this this weird oh. electric musical instrument you play with there, you know, used in um, the original thing, the thing from another world. And, used in uh, Spellbound, the first film, I think. It yeah, was Spellbound in. and um, um, which not science fiction. Last weekend, yeah, it was first, yeah, it first started off as not as non-science fiction, and then made popular by uh, Day the Earth Stood Still, and from the original Day the Earth Stood Still, and from, and from uh, the thing from another world. Um, going to Jerry, Jerry Goldsmith with Planet of the Apes, which was a very sort of um, a very you know non-science fiction because it's you know because it's very it's a very primal score um, dealing with you know. Planet full of apes, um, yeah, and just well, things even also with, with um, uh, first Star Trek movie that Jerry Goldsmith worked on. They had this 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 uh, instrument called a beamer used uh, for um, to represent Beecher. This this weird instrument where you know, it's kind of like how you play something like like a steel guitar with these. You would you would hit the you hit the strings with these these um, and these things the size of mortar shells and you just play it up and down, and that re- represented the um, Beezer for from the first from Star Trek the motion picture. Ah, uh, yeah, the, the, the lovely bald headed. Oh no no, it wasn't Vega. Was the thing? Yeah, it was a Pirishim Kanata or what she was called. Pirishim the, Pirishim Kambata is Aliyah. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Not often you fancy ball ladies, but she certainly did it. While you're on that, I've got a clip from the Star Trek, the first one, the movie thing. I don't know whether it will include that, but let's have a listen. Okay, uh, I don't think I heard it in that bit, but lovely music gives uh, people something to to grasp onto. Uh, anything else before? Uh, we've, unfortunately, Mike seems to have lost his audio, and I'll again try Darth in a moment. But any other thoughts before we, we we'll move around the room a few times in this? Oh no, that's I'm fine with right now. Okay, well I'll just check if Darth is back on audio. Uh, but Darth, are you there now? Okay, well, since he's not, I'll uh, I'll jump in with uh, my little bit. Then um, uh, this is um, one of my favourite TV science fiction series, uh, and this is a little bit like um, Benjamin was talking about with it, where you can have the uh, the singing. This is um, the Highlander. Now I've got this is from the TV series, not the movie, but of course they were uh, absolutely uh, marvellous because they use uh, the Queen. The Queen music was used. For that, and so here's the opening. There's a little bit of talking just at the beginning, but um, I hope you enjoy it. 
I am Duncan MacLeod, born 400 years ago in the Highlands of Scotland. I am immortal, and I am not alone. For centuries we have waited for the time of the gathering, when the stroke of a sword and the fall of a head will release the power of the quickening. In the end, there can be only one. Tiggs, <laughs> you're not liking that accent, Tiggs. Um, well, it was better it w- than, um, than than Christoph Lambert's accent in the movies, but <laughs> it was from I could do a better Scottish ago. accent than the one in the movies, and I can't do a good Scottish accent. You see, he's supposed to have moved all over the world, isn't he? He's lived in France, he's lived uh, in China, he's uh, he's been all over Mongol and all over the place. Well. I've got to admit, going off topic for a moment, but that's one of the best uses of script to kind of get over a real world thing. That you know, your accent sounds weird. Well, I've lived all over the place, and it it fit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it did. It did. Yeah. I thought so. Uh, uh, I mean, it didn't I, buy its original Scottish one. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea of Highlander. I love the whole premise of the show. Uh, lo- love the film. Well, the second film nearly died, killed the franchise off. Uh, but I, I liked all of it. Uh, well, the f- no, the fourth film wasn't so good. I've even got the fifth film, I think it's called The Source. Oh, apparently uh, which, that one was bad, apparently. Well, it was the editing that was bad. I mean, actual Duncan in it is pretty good. Um, some people were saying that, um, well, I won't say, but one of the regulars gets killed off in it. And the, some people were saying on the forums, well, he's he's been sensible. He knows when to get out. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, it was badly edited, I think that was the problem. Um, and of course, they were shooting in Romania for about, they had four months of winter shooting in Romania. So I think the cast probably got a bit stir crazy uh, while they were making that. Um, I don't know whether, Mike, you're going to be able to get back on audio because uh, we really could do with uh, your input here as well. Uh, he's been putting in text a few things, referring, of course, to Logan, uh, who's gone back to do work duties on Torchu, um, that he would have played, what was it, from Stargate Inception, was that he was saying? You're moving about on the page. Oh, Stargate oh, Infinity. Stargate oh. Infinity. Yeah, darn it, Logan's not here. We could hear the theme from Stargate Infinity, which I think is part and parcel of his, um, Logan's, uh, the media outsiders. <laughs> okay, well, um, I'll have one last call for Darth to see if he's in the room. Okay, well, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to uh, play a couple of clips just to get the the creative juices in the room moving a little bit uh, more. I'll tell you what, I'll do one for a homage for Ian. If Ian was in the room today, we'd have to include this one.
And as guest 17 joins us in the room, welcome. We're talking about um, sci-fi music and fantasy, of course, in TV and films and how that has uh, makes the thing much more enjoyable and uh, Ian my co-host is not with us today that's definitely one he would have included in the room so um, uh, we we have had a couple of people that seem to have trouble with audio we've had people um, uh, unfortunately uh, Tim and uh, Tim has had to drop off uh, Logan's had to drop off Mike's lost his audio and I appear to have lost Darth I'm going to say to uh, if Darth just appear just to speak up and jump in Okay, let's go back to the room with Tiggs and then Benjamin. Tiggs, um, any of those um, ring a bell? Or is there any that, um, that your mind has word round to in the media? Because we're talking about TV shows as well. Hmm. Um, well, I suppose going back to movies for a bit, um, based off what you were saying about with Highlander having um, Queen involved with part of the soundtrack... Um, that wasn't the first time they'd done that, at least I think it was the second time, because the other time they did that was they were involved in the soundtrack for Flash Gordon. Ah. Um, and, you know, you know, those are two, I think, two of the first well-known times, you know, where you'd get, you know, a current, you know, popular music act basically either doing or being heavily involved, you know, in the soundtrack of a movie. And stuff that would then, you know, be known well as songs in and of their own right. Um, but then what you tended to get a fair bit in the 90s, um, mainly for stuff that was kind of set either in or something approximating the real world, anything that was kind of sci-fi or high-tech would tend to have an awful lot of actual kind of, well, not so much pop music, but, you know, modern dance music and that sort of thing. Um, you know, you'd, um, Hackers um, soundtrack, that had, you know, a lot of stuff like, you know, it had Orbital, um, it had The Prodigy and various other bands, and then there was the... Um, uh, you know, Angelina um, Jolie in it as well. Yeah, that too, that too. <laughs> With that and lovely then, short uh, hairstyle and the... Uh, yeah, that too, quite well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you yeah. know, um, and um, then... I remember the, the important things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and... Um, then there was uh, the uh, the Matrix movies, especially the first one, you know, where, you know, there was an awful lot of, you know, a, a lot of the soundtrack was modern music because it was set in, or at least it was set in a world masquerading as, the, you know, the real world of that time. So, you know, it had a lot of that sort of music in. But also that kind of got me into um, sort of music that I really, really like because um, a, a track that appeared there was a track in each of the first two soundtracks that was done by Rob Dugan, um, when he'd do stuff which was like orchestral plus dance. Um, and to me, that is, you know, is really, really, you know, I love that sort of music. You know, a little bit, I guess, like, you know, the um, uh, the modern opening to Doctor Who, you know, where you've got highly electronic music but mixed in with full orchestra. And, you know, I think that really works well for, you know, science fiction and other kind of high-tech cult stuff because you know an orchestral theme sounds great for a movie or sounds great you know in either a, a cinema or on a home theater system but you know whereas just an orchestral score would work fine for a fantasy like lord of the rings apart from on stuff like star trek it doesn't quite work as well on you know a straight sci-fi so blending kind of modern dance and a full orchestra it's just i love that sort of thing and you know um 
uh, The Matrix was one of the films where I first heard a track like that, and you know I've not really looked back since. Well, yeah. The, the other thing is that um, there is a slight difference between a, 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 a TV show and the film, in as much as uh, there always seems to be that element in a, a TV show of uh, grabbing the viewer's attention, so that if you've wandered off to the bathroom or you've wandered off into the kitchen or whatever, they open with a fanfare. Um, everything has to be allowed. Now, uh, I don't know whether it's the same in the States as it is for us here in the UK, Tiggs, but um, th- in theory, the volume, well, they say it with adverts as well, the volume is not supposed to be any higher uh, you know they can't boost the volume, but what they seem to do is they uh, condense or squeeze the the um, the difference between the lowest and highest. So effectively, to you, the listener, it seems as though the volume's just gone up five notches when they come on, and they nearly always start with some sort of fanfare. Let me see if I can find one that illustrates that. I think a good one actually is um, if I can find it in a moment. Uh, here we are. Uh, the Buffy theme. case actually has the loud noise right at the end but i think you get my drift with that well there is a sting right near the beginning as well when the kind of the guitars really kick in but you know that's not necessarily a completely new thing um the doctor who theme tune has been doing that since at least the 80s with the kind of electronic scream that would always kind of come before the actual thing it's kind of going here i am here i am and you know it's been going on for decades now um you know a lot of them do tend to do that but you know, the best ones work when it is something, you know, you hear that exact kind of, that guitar riff and you just know what's coming. And, you know, you know it's not just noise. It's like, ooh, Buffy's on. But yeah, I know what you mean about the kind of, it's something to do with the audio range compression. And I know a lot of people have always complained about that, that the adverts have it. And, you know, the adverts say, oh, we're allowed to do that. And it allows things to be more noticeable. The problem is, if you've got a really, really atmospheric TV show or movie where, you know, there is a lot of dynamic range and you have to turn up the volume so you can hear the hear the quiet things and then, you know, something nice and soft happens and suddenly you get something kind of, um, you know, blaring about what your car insurance should be a lot more loud than you really want it. And it really, really winds you up and can take you, you know, out of the, out of the story in the same way or in the opposite way to what a good soundtrack does. <laughs> yeah, let me just ask quickly, uh, uh, Charlie or, or Benjamin or both, uh, is that the case? Is it the, just simply to grab your attention that the, the, these seem apparently high volumes that they seem to have on opening themes? Either of you? I do think opening themes can have loud music on it sometimes. You, you don't think there's a specific um, uh, slant towards that, though? I mean... 
uh, as a marketing tool almost? Well, I suppose there's something. I, I do think the creators of the show have a bit more controls over that than some other things. One problem is many shows don't have opening themes. The ones that do have the themes tend to be able to play with them. Like a, I think Smallville, it's an artistic decision because there's no way that a corporate choice today would want a theme as long as Smallville. Supernatural, they have a couple seconds for whatever the theme of the year is. And they just must be told to do something very loud and get out of it. Right. And Charlie, any thoughts on that particular point? Well, I mean, not really. Okay, okay. Um, I was um, just thinking, which, considering which was the best way to go next with the thing, but um, uh, let's 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 go back to um, well, no, let's stick with TV a minute. Here's um, another one. From, no, this is an earlier one. Uh, this, again, this is something that uh, I used to love. Amazed listening to that. Um, that, of course, was from The Flash, the TV series. But listening to that middle part of it, it sounded to me a little bit like a speeded up part of the Harry Potter theme. So I'm going to play the Harry Potter theme, and I might even go back to that Flash. That I'm sure I hear that in Harry Potter. Let's hear Harry Potter. seemed just that elongated with some sparklers added but uh, Mike oh he's perhaps coming back on audio so he can say it himself Mike what were you thinking and welcome back on audio yay I'm back hey you were saying that, you, that that's music reminded you of what Batman was it yeah or there's a bit take... of that music that, that does sound like the Batman theme especially from the animated series and yeah, yeah, I can hear similarity to the uh, Harry Potter theme, but mainly to the Batman theme. Right, and you're talking about the Flash one now, not the Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, the, the Flash theme. 
Okay. Well, you've been listening for some time without audio. Was there any point that we've we've passed over our uh, show that we've mentioned that you would have liked to have commented at the time? Uh, well, one thing I was wanting to comment on was the, was the whole use of the, of the song and as the Inter- Enterprise theme for you know on Star Trek Enterprise, the Faith of the Heart theme, and how oh, yeah. drastic a difference that was from pre- the previous four series that had no, that just had instrumental music. It was just music that was played during the opening title, and suddenly here we've got a song, and it it, may, it makes sense considering how the show was trying to be different from other. Star Trek, well, it was the prequel, and it was set closer to our own time in like what 20, 2150 was I think was I think when it started, and it made sense for that to be uh, a theme t- for that to be the theme tune for the for the show, and I quite liked it. It helped the show stand apart, even, and even the fact that for the first two first two seasons of Enterprise, it was just called Enterprise. It didn't have the Star Trek brand name as part of the show, the show's title. It was only, for, uh, I think, in the third season that they went back and added Star Trek to it. So it was, you know, officially, this is a Star Trek franchise. But yeah, it was, yeah, that's my comment there on the uh, face of the heart used as the Star Trek Enterprise theme. Hello. Sorry, uh, I was I was just while you were talking. I was just trying to. I'm annoyed with myself that one of the things I haven't got geared up is the original Doctor Who music. So I'm, I'm frantically hunting for that while we're talking. But I noticed uh, that Benjamin's putting stuff in text as well, but not coming on audio. So let me just see if Benjamin wants to add something, and I'll come back to you, Mike, oh. and ask you about any other films. Benjamin, what were you putting in text? Well, I'd put that. Even though I didn't personally like the face of the heart theme, I do think I do appreciate what they're trying to do with it, and I personally would compare what they tried to do with it to what Greatest American Hero did very successfully, because Greatest American Hero came and went to the television show, but people who were around that era still remember the song. It was a great song; it really helped. That was a case where you had they had the song, and it really sold people on the show. I guess the show didn't sell people afterwards, but and then I think people are noticing the fact that Danny Elfman's done a whole lot of themes. I think I get the impression that Danny Elfman might have done both the Flash theme and the Batman theme you're thinking of, and of course Danny Elfman's responsible for the Simpsons and various Tim Burton films, and you know, and that that could result in the fact that some of the music that people like seems similar and the tie-in between Flash and other stuff. Okay, right. Well, we'll just go back to Mike and give him more of his chance to... So any, any other series or films that you know you found that the music is particularly enhanced for your enjoyment? There was one anime series that I saw back in 2004. It was a series called Melody of Oblivion, and not that many people have heard of it, actually, but the whole idea... Of the way the story was was structured, it was structured in series of trilogy stories, like three part stories that formed a larger whole for the narrative. But music was integral to the way that story played out. There were it's like the characters' different special attacks were named after different musical refrains, uh, and just mu- music itself was, you know, as I said, it's it's integral to the structure of the show. So. 
music itself on on that anime was quite good. But uh, that's one thing that comes to mind. And when you played the theme from Harry Potter, that reminded me of you know how important it is for movies that are especially in series to have a core recognizable theme, as you know to show the evolution of the story as it goes on. Because you look back on Harry Potter and the Philosopher or Sorcerer Stone, whichever you want to call it, and you hear the theme played played there when you know, especially when Harry first arrive, arrives at Hogwarts, and you go through to uh, Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince, the latest movie, and listen to the way that that theme is played out in the movie and it just sort of reflects the evolution of characters and the evolution the progression of the story so that's my thought there okay right um let me uh let's see if there's other one that i can just move us along with and um uh no i, don't, I was going to play the dark knight one but i find that a bit blooming uh not very dark? clear at all hello Anything? Do you think it's a bit dark? No, the dark. I was going to play the Dark Knight one, um, the Batman one, but it, I think it, was, it has no shape. To it. Ah, here's one that uh, I'm sure some of our listeners will enjoy: uh, Stargate. I hear silence. The file started to play. I don't hear anything. Okay, I realised I made my mistake number one. I started playing that while I was still muted, didn't I? Hello? It's very possible. Uh, It is very possible, because I'm an idiot. Idiot! Um, when I get again, I'm frantically looking around, searching my hard drive for this uh, the classic because I'm assuming we're going to end in dot two. So I will start that again. Uh, what I, ch- I was saying while muted was that um, just move on and uh, uh, we'll play the Stargate movie theme. Sorry about that. What it appears, at least to me in my headphones, every time I click on a uh, file folder, it seems to make a, a clicker a noise, and I wasn't sure whether that was coming across. So of course I'd muted myself. Okay. Uh, well, Char- uh, Benjamin, you've been rather quiet recently. Uh, any reminders that come? Remember, right at the beginning of the show, head of the show, I did put in some links, some wiki pages that might help. 
Um, for instance, there's the... Um, go on. Well, most of the time, other people are talking, and I'm trying to be careful about bumping in when other people are talking. That doesn't stop them happening, but I try to be careful. Uh, one thing I did ask in text, and Charlie answered was, I, and, Rand, and Randall agreed, I asked who did the Lord of the Rings music, because I think that was one of the best scores of last decade. Yes, it's scary to think of that as last decade. But, uh, and they pointed out it was Howard Shore. And I don't know if he got a lot of credit for that at the time. He, he's, I think he's known these days for a non-sci-fi show theme that he did later, uh, House Theme. Well, it's not that. And if, if you've seen the show House, that's his music. And ah, right. I do think it's interesting. I think you can tell that someone... Someone who does good genre music is often able to do good non-genre music and vice versa. But his Lord of the Rings stuff was, of course, really great film music, and it's really it's pleasant to listen to. And those are films where even though you've got ludicrously long closing credits and they've got the names really, really tight, very little point in trying to identify someone's names, you can just sit back, relax, and just let the credit run and listen to the music for a while. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Tiggs wanted to come back in, I think, with something as well. Um. Yeah, it's a bit, you know, um, ties into a lot of the um, previous um, comments. If, um, and one or two of the things that you've played, it's like, you know, with the with the main Stargate movie when they had the, um, you know, the Stargate SG One series. You know, it used the same theme, and a lot of the incidental music, you know, was very similar in feel. Um, certainly in the, you know, in the early seasons, and you know, I think sometimes that's what people are looking for in, you know, in tie-ins. You know, um, I think that's what did upset a lot of people when Enterprise came out, although they were trying to distance themselves from the Star Trek name. It was based in the Star Trek universe, and after a handful of series with this great big, you know, orchestral opening suddenly used a pop song and it wasn't it wasn't what people expected from that world. And then one, you know, as I was saying before, I liked uh, Bear McCreary's music, especially in the Sarah Connor Chronicles. What I liked about that is, okay, it didn't have a lot of an opening theme, but what it had as the opening theme, as it were, was just basically the, you know, the traditional Terminator drum beat. But, you know, a lot of the incidental music in that series, you know, it felt like Terminator. It's like, you know, he created a lot of his themes for various characters and scenarios, but it's like there was there was a piece of music that would play whenever a Terminator arrived or was revealed as being a Terminator, and it incorporated one of the sound effects that was used, certainly in the first two films, you know, when the Terminator was around. And it's like... You know, a good, you know, a good tie-in or you know, a good kind of continuation will try to invoke the same sort of feelings to have that feeling of continuity. And I think a lot of problems will happen if someone, you know, tries to change things around too much and comes up with music that isn't what, you know, you know what the fans are expecting. Cause, you know, if if you're a die-hard Star Trek fan and the first thing you're thinking of when you hear the opening music is, well, this isn't Star Trek you might not 
possible you might continue to listen or to watch if you're a diehard fan, but you've already sort of had your mind soured. You're not really going to be paying attention. So, you know, having the right sort of feel for the series is very important. And, you know, a lot of good sequels and continuations will, even if they don't have the same music, they will try to invoke the same sort of feel. And, you know, it's the same whether it's sci-fi or fantasy, whether it's TV or movie or even video games, you know, something which has the right sort of feel and the same sort of cues will continue the feel of a series even if they don't have this exactly the same you know exactly the same music right is that the comment mike you're talking about alternate musical themes there yeah on episodes of star trek enterprise if you listen to the music that they play over the end credits that's sort of an alternate theme for it and that theme was referred to i think as archer's theme but it's a I, that may or may not may or may not have been a theme that Benjamin was referring to. Right. I mean, one of the things we haven't yet discussed, whether we will or not, is 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 within an actual program, like you say, uh, that you can have actual character themes. Um, you know, like where they have Amy's theme in Doctor Who and so on. Um, so uh, it, it is something that's used. I'm just noticing that Darth is still showing us being on the show. Darth, have you come back to your computer yet? Just thought I would check. Although I'm sure the guy would be uh, would step in if he felt as though uh, we were wandering too much off topic. <laughs> okay, right. Um, let's uh, let's jump. Uh, well, we talked about it right at the beginning of the show about the Sarah Jane adventures. So, just slightly keeping up to now. This has unfortunately got. Uh, a lot of talking because it's the intro rather than the theme, but let me just play this. That team banner in the road is where Sarah Jane Smith is. And it's home to things way beyond your imagination. There's an extraterrestrial supercomputer in the wall, a genetically engineered boy genius in the attic, a schoolgirl investigator across the road, and a whole universe of adventure right here on the doorstep. Ready? Always. Well, I think you got the sense of the music a little bit there. Perhaps not as much as I, I thought when I played it. Um, but, I mean, the, the, the whole thing is that it gives um, a sort of character stamp to it. Okay, and Benjamin has actually dropped off during the course of that thing. Um, this is uh, one of the problems that we do have with the courses, as we've welcomed in new guests throughout the show. Uh, the people, unfortunately, that are on microphone um, cannot always stay for the whole length of the show. So um, let me just um, pick out one or two more little things that um, I had uh, in the list, and um, then we'll see how we're going. Um, <laughs> again, if Darth was here, uh, this is one of his favourite shows. Flying, waiting to 
Okay, and uh, Tiggs has just put in the text that he will need to leave in the next five minutes or so. So uh, I think what we might be better doing is, uh, you know, fairly going around the room and, uh, and perhaps bringing this to a, a slightly premature close because um, we, do, we do need, obviously, a larger number of people with audio in the room to, to give a meaningful listen to the people who download the show later. And while I don't want to underestimate the contribution of those people that are with us in the room, um, if it's just down to Tiggs, Mike and myself on mic at the moment, um, that might get slightly tiring. So I'm just going to ask you each in turn, and I'll start with Tiggs since he's the one that may have to leave the first. Um, is there any whole section in this that, that we've missed um, I mean, obviously, we haven't really talked about Doctor Who. Uh, in fact, uh, let me, before I come to you, uh, just for the sake of completeness, find the Doctor Who. I have not, and I'm going to lose my credentials here, I've, I can't find the original Doctor Who theme, and it's on my computer. It must be on my computer in about three different places. Uh, so I'm really upset about that. So let me... Uh, find the proper dot two which i'm having trouble finding now oh david 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 here we go There, I'm going to ask Charlie, um, which which era of Doctor Who was that? Do you think? Oh, that's original. That's 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 Hartnell era. Right. Okay. Um, I think it was a bit later than that, but you may well possibly be right. And here's the newest. case we finish shortly i didn't want to miss those out very quickly then tiggs before you have to leave us just a um, quick well, thought as, uh that as he goes you know pretty much leads into what i wanted to um say anyway that you know some of the best themes in you know especially in sci-fi um you know television and films are ones that have been around for a while but when they've been you know when there've been new entries in the series they've updated the music but using the same original music and that is one very good example you know you've got you know this you know this piece of ethereal sounding music that was originally written back in the 60s and you know here we are in the year 2010 
uh, you know, and a modern arrangement of the same song still sounds absolutely perfect. And you know, say other themes have been the same, where I think sometimes the only the only limiting factor was the mu- you know the instruments that they had to hand at the time. For example, you know, the the Terminator uh, series, the first the theme that was played out at the end of the first film was used certainly in the second and third and by the third film there was a full orchestral version of it that you know it was the same basic melody and the same you know basic arrangement but just dialed up to something modern and you know a really really good theme will work decades on okay let's hear one of those right now fireball xl5 Okay, Venus? Okay, Steve. Right. Let's go. stop it there um yeah i mean the, the, i've got a whole list of ones here um mike do you need to drop off at this uh sorry tiggs do you need to drop off at this point um yeah i'm gonna have to make a move but it's been fun it's been a um fun topic to chip in on and i hope to be back again next week okay thanks for your input cheers okay, bye okay charlie uh any well, thoughts on go on i was just thinking just you know you, you played um Fireball XL5, you can play Captain Scarlet. You just you can go through all the um, the Jerry Anderson themes that yeah. Barry, Barry Gray did, um, you know, up to um, Space 1999. Um, actually, if you if I was I was wondering, I actually have the the Space 1999 theme song queued up. If it's okay with you, I can play uh, some of it. Please, please do, yeah. I just, I just like, I just like the whole uh, variation. It goes between, you know, um, orchestra music into uh, '70s wah wah guitar, uh, guitar uh, mode right there. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, the Jerry Anderson ones always. I mean, they were very high production values. To say that, they, mm-hmm. I mean, we've lapsed a little bit into what some people would say. Well, hang on, you're talking about children's programs here, but um, 
uh, as we welcome GIFs uh, G7 into the room. We, we, oh, hang on a second. Hit the wrong button trying to unmute him. <laughs> there we go. Um, we may be coming to a close as we run out of people on mic, but you're welcome nonetheless. Uh, yeah, the, the production values of those shows were, were, were terrific. Uh, the, um, the, the equal side of the uh, thing was, um, was it Hanna-Barbera in uh, America where they did things like this one. <laughs> that is it's running at the wrong speed. Oh my god. Can't have that. <laughs> oh my dearie me. All right, um perhaps I'll uh, uh we might wrap up very soon. Okay, uh, I'm just looking through the the other ones that I've got really and uh, a lot of the ones that were ones that we actually did play while we were on uh, children's stuff. But uh, the one that is really phenomenal, it wasn't actually used in the film so much, uh, the clip I've got, but the, the film was staggering for its music and then the orchestration, and that is uh, from the War of the Worlds. And this is the bit with the uh, Richard Burton narration in it. No one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century that human affairs were being watched from the timeless worlds of space. No one could have dreamed we were being scrutinized as someone with a microscope studies creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Few men even considered the possibility of life on other planets. And yet, across the gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to ours regarded this earth with envious eyes. And slowly and surely, they drew their bands. Okay, and let's bring Mike back in because he is on microphone after all. Um, any thoughts, just in case we do close fairly soon, on the things that Tiggs and Charlie were talking there about, maybe the Jerry Anderson, the, the fact that the children's TV makes use of it, are indeed things like the War of the Worlds I've just played. Well, the only the, the main Jerry Anderson production that I'm familiar with is, of course, Thunderbirds, and they had they had some great music, especially the the theme tune for Thunderbirds was excellent. But um, yeah, children's TV does you know, it music is a is an important part of that. It's identifying it as via the, the theme tune. It's like you hear a bit of a a song for a popular kids show, and you can instantly recognize it. There are lots of those here on on PBS from the '90s and so on and so forth. Things like Sesame Street and Reading Rainbow that have you know rec- instantly recognizable theme tunes that that are instantly describe what the show is and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, music is important there, and you know it's it, it this also. Using music in children's television reminds me of something else that's been going on in the public education system, and but that leads to a rant on the, the limiting and cutting of funds for music education. But that's not this show, so I won't go there. 
Well, let, let, let's give you a couple of clips of uh, children's ones that just about fit in our category. Transformers. Wow. Yay. That's the second one that's playing at the wrong speed. Let's try one more. <laughs> Thundercats. Yep. They're they're running at uh, 2200 or something. They're, they're messing up my things, so I'm going to uh, skedaddle from that, really. That is uh, very bad of me. Uh, that was because um, I had about... Uh, I had about 30 clips lined up, and there's no way we're going to play them all. It, it just depended on how um, how the show went indeed. So uh, let me play one of my favourite ones, and I think everybody in the room will like this one. I think we all know that was the Quantum Leap theme. Uh, and uh, just to jump back across to our uh, side of the Atlantic, uh, let's go with um, Primeval. Right, any thoughts on any of those I've just played? Charlie or Mike? I haven't watched enough. I think I've seen one episode of Prime Meemals. I can't uh, really come right. up with that. But Quiet Leap. But oh, go on, sorry. I'm just saying Quiet Leap. Yeah, that, that's a very... Um, because it's it's sort of, you know, it's a time travel show, so it's it's yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not a... Um, Say you can say it's not really quote unquote sci-fi, but it's a very um, very memorable theme. Well, yes, I suppose. Um, I mean, time travel is very sci-fi. I mean, I love time travel, but yeah, it's it's basically the premise of the show that that gets it into the uh, the more human storylines that it, it considers. All right, let me play you one from your side of the pond. What if you could travel to parallel worlds, the same year, the same Earth? Only different dimensions. A world where the Russians rule America. Or where your dreams of being a superstar came true. Or where San Francisco was a maximum security prison. My friends and I found the gateway. 
Now the problem is finding a way back home. I'm getting a bit naughty playing clips all the time, so I think we ought to uh, probably, as we come up to the one hour, 50 minute, and, oh, and Harrop Media joins us. We are getting towards the end. Oh, I've done it again. Let me just do that. Yeah, I was trying to, um, there we are. I think that's done it now. It's very easy to, when you're clicking on the control buttons, to just slightly hit the wrong button because the side-by-side. Uh, I think um, rather than it just me end up playing the rest of my clips to finish off, I think we, we're probably, with the number of people on mic in the room, as much as it's nice to have Harrop Media join us uh, so late in the game, but um, I think with perhaps Mike and uh, Charlie just have uh, some closing thoughts, if, if, if there's any way. In fact, before I do that... Let me just remind you of the uh, one of the links that um, I put in, um, and that was from the Wikipedia. It was the actual uh, musical scores for movies uh, that have won Academy Awards. Now, obviously, uh, the page there shows from all categories, but the... Um, the 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 amazing thing is that uh, we were talking about John Williams as one of the um, science fiction uh, greatest you know uh, musical things. He's had forty nominations for for his music uh, for various different things. And let's go at some of the the great um, films. I'm going way way back, uh, and I'm leading this list as I'm looking. So. I'm looking for science fiction. Ooh, up to 1939 now. Uh, boom, boom, boom. No. Tim Panale, the winner. I'm, we're up to... Oh, no. I'm up to 1943, 1944. I'm looking for which one film won. Uh, we mentioned Spellbound, although not science fiction, but the use of the theremin. That won it in 1945, Charlie. Um, let's, uh, and I'm going down the list. Can't do this fast enough. Uh, I'm up to 1952 with High Noon. Still no science fiction winning it. Around the World in 80 Days. Not science fiction, but not far off. Uh, Ben-Hur, Exodus, Breakfast at Tinnifinis, Lawrence of Arabia, uh, Mary Poppins. No actual fact, not a lot nominated, but not many actually winning it. Somebody will have to be a bit faster reader than me. And now up to 1973. Star Wars, John Williams. Um, well, you can also uh, talk it, about um, uh, the year before that Jerry Goldsmith won for the Omen. I know that's not really sci-fi, but it's sort of that. Uh, it's 
horror genre that's sort of the, Oh, yeah, 1982, E.T., the extraterrestrial, winning. Um, and where are we up to now? The Postman? Oh, no, that's the wrong one. That's, um, <laughs> yeah, the wrong Postman, that one. No, I'm up to... Uh, Oh, Lord of the Rings, 2001. Right. Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. 2003, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Uh, Finding Neverland, I suppose that's a sort of a fantasy. Um, and of course, last year it was up. So not as many winning, but quite a lot listed. Okay, let's do some final thoughts. Um, we don't want to drag this out. Uh, Mike, any final thoughts? As you were playing the uh, the theme for Quantum Leap, one thing that came to mind as I was listening to the music played throughout this show is how theme tunes and music used in sci-fi shows are reflective of the status of popular music at that time. It's like you look at the evolution of the Doctor Who theme from the classic series from the, the Hartnell era all the way through to the end of the McCoy era, and especially there in the McCoy, with the McCoy era theme, it was reflective of the, the whole... Electro, electronic theme music that you heard that was popular back in the 80s. And now, with the current theme tune, what, the way it is, it's, you know, a reflective sort of a mirror of what's going on with music, a sort of a combination of new of new ways of producing music with, with computers and combining that with classical orchestrated themes. And yeah, it's, it's like you look through all these different tunes and yeah, it's Either it's the music itself that reflects the status of music at that time, or how music is recorded and played back. So that's just something that I've noticed from uh, from listening to all these themes. Okay, thanks for that. And Charlie, any thoughts just to end us up? Um, just you know, you, just the idea, just that memorable music, uh, you know, helps uh, it helps along with the um, what you what you see on the screen. You know, you said like. The Doctor Who theme is is uh, memorable because it's a good theme, and you know you, you go through all the other uh, good pieces of music. If something if, if something um, if you like the piece of music, you know hopefully you'll, you'll like you'll like the show or the movie, and uh, they usually uh, hopefully go well uh, together. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, wh- one of the things that we haven't really got into is that. Um, the actual within certainly within TV series are um, uh, I think they they do it they did it in Buffy they did it um, in quite a lot of science fiction and they certainly do it in Doctor Who and that's where individual characters have a theme that when they come on uh, uh, the earliest orchestrational thing that that was ever done with was not obviously TV or science fiction but it was the um, um, Peter uh, the oh, the, ch- the old um, Oh, who was it? Oh, Prikofiev. Um, uh, what was that piece of music? Oh, um, Peter and the Wolf. Peter and the Wolf, where they use the orchestral thing, where dum 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 dum. You know, each each character has their own musical instrument and so on, which is is really where the whole thing um, actually came from. One supposes, but we have in Doctor Who, we have Amy's theme and all those. Um, it's very difficult to actually find little clips of that where there isn't any dialogue over the top of it. So I'll refrain from doing that now. Uh, what I'm going to do is, I think, wrap the show up. Uh, but I'm just going to thank the people in the room, a lot of who have left. But before I name them, let me just give you the early warning for subjects coming up. Uh, next week, the 14th of November, we're doing 
do sequels always come second? Well, not in the case of The Godfather, but never mind. Um, two weeks' time, uh, we're doing Sarah Jane Adventures Series 4 Review. Now, that will be on the 21st of November, and that will be after the last episode of Sarah Jane Adventures will have aired in the UK. So, if you haven't seen it, that will be spoilerish, but we're hoping that enough people will be able to come and talk about that. And then the following week, uh, the 28th of November, we're going to talk about Merlin Series 3, which will also have come to uh, its natural end. Um, so, um, did I? I thought I actually, you know, I thought I had some music for Merlin when I think about it, but it doesn't seem to be in my little queue here. As you can see, I've been diving into it uh, pretty. I think that's one I just didn't quite get to. Hmm. Where are you when I want you? No, I don't think I'm going to get it. Okay, with that, everybody, um, let me thank, uh, first of all, uh, people that were on mic. That's uh, Randall Thor, Tiggs, Benjamin, Charlie P, um, Darth, um, Tim. um, Those, I think, were mainly the people and, and many other people in the room. Uh, Jif G G seven um, Cybob uh, Logan um, I mentioned Tim Jury I think didn't I Yep uh, Zimmy Pot sixty nine Jedi Justice all the numerous guests that have dropped in Old Holby and so on and Harrop Media as well So with that I'm going to um, play us out uh, once I find my little outro Thanks everybody Catch you next week.